Hello, this is Brandon from Motivational Speech Podcast. I have a great gift for you. I'm sharing some of the highly valuable life-changing free audiobooks. You can find the audiobooks link in the description. These audiobooks can change your life. So don't waste them. You learn through voluntary contact with that that frightens or disgusts you. Carl Jung said his primary dictum was insterquilinus invenitur, which I'm sure I'm massacring because it's Latin, but it meant in filth it will be found. You always learn when you're wrong, which is very annoying. Now, what do you learn when you're correct? You, you're walking in the world, you're operating in the world. You have a sense of what you want to have happen. You're always looking at the world through this sense of what you want to have happen. You're acting so that what you want to have happen will happen. And when it happens, well, then you're happy because, well, first of all, you get what you want. And that's good, maybe, depending on what you want. But it's also good because if you get what you want when you act, then it turns out that your model of how to act is valid, right? The outcome that you get what you want indicates no error on the part of your model. But it's very frequently the case that when you act to get what you want, you don't get what you want. And then that's unpleasant because you don't get what you want, but it's even more unpleasant because it brings with it the hint of a suggestion that the manner in which you're construing the world is incorrect at some indeterminate level. So for example, if you tell a joke at a party, you presume that people will attend, and then when they hear the joke, they will laugh, and then if you tell the joke and it goes flat, or even worse, disgusts and offends people, then you're going to be taken aback, and that's partly because you didn't get what you want, and that's not so good, but it's more because there's something wrong with the way you conceptualize the situation. And then you're faced with a problem, and the problem is the emergence of a domain of the unknown. It's like, well, what kind of mistake did you make? Maybe you're not as funny as you think you are. That, that could be a big problem. Um, maybe you're not around people that, who are the way you think they are. Maybe they don't like you as much as you thought they liked you. I mean, the potential for various paranoid thoughts of increasing severity to come welling up at you in a situation where you make a, even a trivial social mistake is quite broad. And when you make an error of that sort, you have to face it and sort through all the possibilities so that you can find out what it was that you did wrong and how to retool it so that in the future, you don't make the same mistake. You have nothing to rely on in your life that's more crucial to your success as you move through life than your character and your personality. That's what you bring to every situation. And the more sophisticated you are in relationship to yourself and others, the more you understand people, the deeper you understand the nature of your own being, the more likely it is that you're going to proceed through your life in a manner that will make you pleased to exist rather than displeased to exist. 
as you interact with other people, you inevitably tell them what you want and what you don't want. When they give you what you want and what you admire, you respond positively to them, you pay attention to them, you smile at them, you focus, you focus your thoughts on them, you interact with them, and you reward them for acting in a particular manner. And when they don't respond the way that you want, then you punish them with a look or by turning away or by rejecting their friendship or when you're a child by refusing to play with them. And so we're engaged in the co-creation of personalities, our own and others. And that also brings up the same question. What is it that we are all collectively trying to be and trying to create? Honest communication between two people can produce personality transformation. And you know, you might think, well, you kind of know that already because there's something very engaging about a deep, honest conversation where you're able to say things that you wouldn't normally say, where you're being listened to by someone who's actually listening to you and you're listening to them. And in the conversation, you're moving both of you further to a different point. That's different than a conversation where you're right and you're trying to convince me or I'm right and I'm trying to convince you, which I would say is the typical conversation. The, the healing conversation is more, well, what's up with you? You know, how are you doing? What, how's your life going? Where, what sort of problems are you facing? What do you think about those problems? Can you conceptualize what a solution might be? Is there a way we could figure out how to get there? You know, it's, so it's a problem solving conversation and it's predicated on the presupposition that the person that you're conversing with has the capacity to grow in a positive direction if they so choose. There's lots of different places that you can act in the world and there's lots of different ways you can look at it and survive. That's why you can be a plumber and a lawyer and an engineer and they, those all work, right? Even though they're very different modes of being and you can have different personalities and survive as long as you're capable of finding the place where your particular filters and behavioral proclivities match the demand of the environment. And a huge part, I would say, of successful adaptation is precisely that. I believe that you need to know what the world is made of, and I suppose that's the proper domain of science, but then you need to know how to act. And that's a whole different thing. And you need to know how to act. That's the thing you need to know most of anything, because of course you're a living creature and action in relationship to desired goals is, is everything to you. And you can think about that from a Darwinian perspective. You have to act at least so that you can survive, at least so that you can find a partner. That's, that's life. And so part of the question is, well, how does the world look if you think about it as a place to act? And the answer isn't a place of value-free objects. That's not what the world looks like. And you can't act in a world of value-free objects because there's no way of choosing between them. If everything has zero value, why would you choose one thing over another? You live in a world where things present themselves to you as of different value. You make yourself out of the information that you gather in the world. So you're an exploring creature. You explore specifically when 
the maps that you're using in the world are no longer orienting yourself properly when they're producing errors, you go out, gather information, and assemble yourself from the information that you discovered. There's some relationship between your personality and the manner in which your brain functions. I've often found it useful when I'm trying to remember something to have a story to hang the facts on. Otherwise, you're faced with the necessity of doing nothing but memorization. And it isn't obvious to me that memorization actually constitutes knowledge. What constitutes knowledge is the generation of a cognitive structure that enables you to conduct yourself more appropriately in life. And so I suppose you might say that you could argue that a course in psychology, especially in personality, is a course in applied wisdom as well. Assuming that wisdom is in part your capacity to understand yourselves so that you don't present too much of an intolerable mystery to yourself and also to understand others so that you can predict their behavior, understand their motivations, negotiate with them, listen to them, and formulate joint games with them so that you can integrate yourself reasonably well with another person and with a family and in society. You have to figure out ways of simplifying the world, right? Because you just can't do everything. And so people are specialized. They have specialized niches that they occupy. You could think about them as social niches. A niche is a place where your particular skills would serve to maintain you. And so if you're extroverted, you're going to look for a social niche because you like to be around people. And if you're introverted, you're going to spend much more time on your own. And so if you're an introverted person, for example, you're going to want a job where you're not selling and where you're not surrounded by groups of people who are making social demands on you all the time because it'll wear you out. Whereas if you're extroverted, that's just exactly what you want. And so the extrovert sees the world as a place of social opportunity. And the introvert sees the world as a place to retreat from and spend time alone. And it turns out that both of those modes of being are valid. The, the issue, at least to some degree, is whether or not you're fortunate enough to match your temperament with the demands of the environment. Hello, this is Brandon from Motivational Speech Podcast. I have a great gift for you. I'm sharing some of the highly valuable life-changing free audiobooks. You can find the audiobooks link in the description. These audiobooks can change your life. So don't waste them.